0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and you're listening to episode 29. Today, we're talking with Chrissy Vasquez. Chrissy is the Chief Development Officer at Indie Reads. Indie Reads' mission is to build literacy, English language, and job readiness skills to empower adults and families to reach their full potential. Before working at Indie Reads, Chrissy was at Back on My Feet An organization I'm passionate about and an organization I actually used to work for she was the VP of operations at back on my feet back on my feet combats homelessness through the power of running community support and essential employment and housing resources Chrissy has a huge heart for volunteering fundraising and she has completed a full Ironman triathlon In this episode, we talk about training for marathons and Ironmans and races as a back of the packer and how she became empowered to not care about what other people think and jump in and do what she was passionate about. Chrissy actually documented much of her training from when she did the Ironman and started training for half marathons and marathons in her blog, Sausage in a Wetsuit. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. We also talk about what it looks like to love someone who battles with drug and alcohol addiction. Cressy has always been someone that I've been inspired by. She's always been someone that I look up to. And she's one of those people that I have always felt that if I ever needed anything, I could turn to her. She would just be there. She would just be available. And that is something I am super grateful for. I really hope you all enjoy this conversation and get as much out of it as I did. All right, everybody, this podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. Make sure you check out the other shows in our network. I'll have another with Lindsey Hine and the Up and Running Podcast. If you are into running at all, those are two shows that you'll definitely be interested in checking out. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Chrissy Vasquez. Well, today on the Illuminate podcast, I'm so excited to welcome my friend, Chrissy Vasquez to the show. Welcome to the podcast, Chrissy. Thank you for having me. We go way back. Almost 10 years. Yeah. We met when I worked for Back of My Feet, mm-hmm. but let's give the listeners a little bit of a rundown of who is Chrissy Vasquez.
1: Sure. So I grew up moving about every 18 to 24 months for my dad's corporate job and so i've lived east west north south everywhere in the middle and then i went out to arizona state to get my undergrad degree in marketing and it was a wonderful experience being at asu good three years the first year was really rough for me i think a lot of things came together at the same time my parents had moved from kansas city to st louis so when i went home for holidays i didn't know anybody i broke up with my high school boyfriend to go off to school Everybody was running around with their college roommates when they got there and my roommate and I had kind of different tracks and so we didn't really spend much time together so I really had a hard time fitting in. I think I had wanted to go to Arizona State since I was a freshman in high school so I had built up what it was going to be and it wasn't anything like that so I fell into a really deep depression that first year um, and depression runs in my family but it was my first real experience of having a diagnosis with it. I could Looking back, I could see times in high school that maybe I had some bouts of depression, but this was the first time it was smack in my face. Um, So I got some help from student health and a lot of support from my parents. And it was just, um, it was a really big learning experience for me in life. And I've carried that lesson through throughout life. But then after I graduated Arizona State, I went to, I moved to Indianapolis. And I started my first job at a co-ed business fraternity, Alpha Kappa Psi thought it was only going to be for a year mm-hmm. turned out to be i got promoted to handle all of our student chapter operations they supported me in my mba from kelly and their evening mba program at iu and then um Next thing you know, I've been in Indianapolis for almost 20 years. So (laughs) after I I went to AKSI, I went to the Indiana State Museum and was there for five years. And then I went to Back on My Feet, and that was the executive director of the local chapter. And I actually had to interview for that job twice. I didn't get it the first time, and so then another year went by, got some better skills and fundraising and went back for it, and then ran the chapter for three years. And that was probably my most rewarding experience in my career, just to really take what was there and build on it. Um, Really try to build the financial support. We doubled the budget while I was there and just really I felt built a great community with connected with the volunteers, the donors, the porters, the members. Um, I left back on my feet in the last summer in 2019 and now I'm at an organization called Indie Reads. So we provide adult literacy programs and education programs. So those that Don't know how to read the alphabet or don't know how to read can come into our program. English is a second language. We have a lot of students that have moved here from other countries with graduate degrees and they're not recognized by the United States so they have to go back and learn English. And then we also have workforce development programs as well. And then we also operate a new and used bookstore on Mass Ave here in Indianapolis that we're moving to Fountain Square At the end of the summer. So there's a lot of things going on in my job. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Question with Indy Reads. Do you guys work with any of the refugee organizations like Exodus? So we have a good partnership with all
1: social services organizations in town. The Indiana Welcome Center etc. So yeah, our programming is free and we're trying to get, our vision is 100% literacy for all. Okay. One in six adults read below a fifth grade level in the state of Indiana, Wow. which to put that in perspective, a fifth grade level is a sit down restaurant, not even a really fancy one, but a sit down restaurant, the menu there would be a fifth or sixth grade level. And if a child is illiterate, or I'm sorry if a child has a parent that's illiterate they are 72% likely to be illiterate themselves so it is definitely a generational problem that we're also
0: trying to stop and get people those literacy literacy skills they need wow okay it's something that we don't think is happening like right here in our community mm-hmm. but it totally is
1: oh i think literacy is a huge problem and it's something it's almost like in the vein of mental health it's a huge problem and people don't talk about it so when You know, English is a second language. There's a little less shame associated with it because you're moving to a new country or et cetera. But the literacy side, if you do speak English and you read at a very low level, there's so much shame Mm. and embarrassment Mm -hmm. around that. We've seen students come through. We had a student that started with us recently and she was at her 50th birthday party and her family was like, read your cards to us. And she had to admit in front of her whole family that she couldn't read. And it still took her 10 years to get into our program.
0: Wow. I wonder, I get it. Like I, I, I would be embarrassed if I couldn't read. Mm -hmm. How do you reach those people?
1: So a lot of that recruitment has to come from our students because people hearing from their peers, Uh um, is going to be the best way to kind of get over that shame and embarrassment. Oh, they did it. I can do it too. Um, I think a lot of our adult learners think that everybody's going to be young coming into the program, mm-hmm. and that's not true. Um, we have people, we had a student that was 65 in our program. So it's great to see people improving those skills at different parts of their life, whether they want to read to their grandchildren or go back and get their high school equivalency diploma. Um, we also try to do a lot of advertising and social media. We're putting together a series of videos that will be in different languages to reach different students around the city. Indianapolis actually has the country's largest Burmese population. Mm. So there's a great need there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I talked to Carrie Fritz with Exodus Refugee, she mentioned that. Yeah. And I think
1: the other challenge for us is getting that message out. And so getting that awareness out that we even exist. A lot of people, when they hear Indie Reads, oh, the bookstore a Mass F. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that's a small portion of what we do. And that's there to provide that outreach and to support the organization but we're really a literacy and adult education program. And so how do we get that awareness out so people know that we exist?
0: I need to go down to your bookstore. I haven't been there. Oh, you should definitely come. Yeah,
1: I, I love bookstores. It's got a really great feel to it. It's very warm. It feels like an old bookstore. Uh-huh. When you walk in, um, you don't really know that it's a used bookstore. Uh-huh. So it's new and used, but our used books are in such great condition that you really don't know you're in a used bookstore. And we're excited to go to the Fountain Square location. We're going to still have that open, warm, inviting environment, but it's going to have
0: a Fountain Square A vibe. Fountain Square vibe. Yeah. And if you're not in Indianapolis, the Fountain Square vibe is uh, cool, hip. Hipstery kind of, how would you describe it? That's exactly how I describe (laughs) it. Uh, It's crazy how that neighborhood has changed over the last five, 10 years. And it's also the neighborhood where Good Bones
1: on Mm -hmm. Home and Garden TV is based out of the mom and the daughter that flip houses.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to walk back a little bit to you mentioned um, being in college and walking through some depression. And I just, (laughs) what stood out to me when you said that was that you went to Student Health Services. Mm because that seems like a very mature thing to do at such a young age to know that you need to do that. So I'm just curious how you knew that you needed to do it.
1: I don't think it came in my own idea. Oh, okay. I definitely think it was from my parents. So my parents were living in St. Louis at the time and I can't imagine now that I'm older, I can't imagine what it was like for them hearing me cry night after night on mm. the phone. In fact, my, we had Jack and Jill suites, and at this point, my roommate had moved into the sorority house, so I had the side to my own, but I had sweetmates, mates, and my suite mates would hear me crying so hard that they really didn't know if they were going to find me alive the next morning. Mm-hmm. They said it was so bad, and so just imagining what I put my parents through across all those miles, but my parents were really great in supporting me, go get the help you need, go to student services, be honest with them. Because depression does run in our family, my grandmother on my mom's side had clinical depression. So my mom at least knew what to look for. And so she really gave me that encouragement to go. And it wasn't an immediate, the, you know, the curtain was lifted. Yeah. It was kind of a slow removal of the fog, if you will. And so I got on some medicine. And at first I was uncomfortable being on medicine, but it started to take an edge off and my highs and lows were not as dramatic. And so it really helped me to be able to focus on the campus around me. And then that's when I started to really get involved. And by the time I graduated, it was the best time Mm, (laughs) ever. I love it. When I graduated, I remember very distinctly at the College of Business graduation, I was the only student that every single dean hugged as I walked across the stage. So it was one of those things where I feel like I made an impact on the campus and the campus definitely made an impact on me.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. You know, I think a couple thoughts about depression is like you were talking about, literacy mm-hmm. if you are illiterate, there's this shame. and I think that it's being talked about more now mm-hmm. um, but there's also those feelings with depression
1: oh absolutely because
0: people feel like my life should be and could be so good like why do why do I have any right to feel depressed or you know, and maybe there's a sense of embarrassment because they are going on medicine and I just think it's important to, continue to talk about it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think if we're ever going to solve most of the problems, especially experiencing homelessness and things like that, we have got to make mental health a normal topic to talk about and make it normal to go out and get help. I think that's why people feel so ashamed. And that's why I felt ashamed at first is I just want to be like my peers. They're all Mm -hmm. running around campus, Mm -hmm. having a great time. And here I am feeling like I have, you know, I could go lay in bed all day. And so I think it's really just making it a part of the conversation and making it it's okay to not be okay and really encouraging people to go out and get that help and talk about it. And when you see it in a friend, you know, come from a a spot of concern.
0: Whenever I feel overly anxious or get in a state where I feel in a depressed mood or whatever it may be, I want to like hide under the covers Mm -hmm. and not talk to people. But I do know that actually getting out and being around other people helps. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to take those steps. You almost sort of, I, I can remember periods in my life where I felt super anxious about health related things and stuff like that. And I, there were key people who were like, I'm making you go, mm-hmm. you can't stay home. So I wonder what that was like in your life, because clearly getting active and involved with the deans and all these things like that helped.
1: Yeah. When I got to campus, I joined a co-ed business fraternity, Alpha Kappa Psi, where I eventually ended up working. And I think that got me somewhat connected. So there was a reason I had to go to pledge meetings and go to events. So I did get out. I definitely know that I wasn't, sometimes it was a very fake Chrissy that was showing up Mm -hmm. to kind of cover up for that. Um, I feel also too... My whole life I've been overweight since probably the second grade and there's a whole backstory to why I think that is but um you know my whole life I feel like I've had to compensate for that with groups of friends and even people just being the person that does the most, you know, cares the most, mm. is funny, is outgoing, you know, and so I feel like I that probably came through during those hard times but yeah, I think it does help to have somebody that's going to hold you accountable and say get out of bed or you know, go do this. But it was hard on campus because outside of those classes and those business fraternity activities, I didn't have a lot of friends that first semester to pull me out. And so there were times where I spent the whole weekend in the dorm, in my bed, just watching movies or sleeping.
0: Okay, so now at... I don't know how old you are. I just turned 40. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a big birthday. <laughs> I knew you were just a little ahead of me. Yeah,
1: it was a big milestone. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. When that was that? November. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's a big one. Um, but now that at 40, I just would love to hear you talk about that, that piece where you said you struggled with weight your whole life, and so you felt like you were overcompensating everywhere. Mm-hmm. How have you made peace with that, and how do you handle that now?
1: Yeah, I think my outlook on it has dramatically changed. Um, Ten years ago, tomorrow, I ran my first half marathon. And it came at a time when I was the heaviest weight I've ever been. And some friends pulling me, Mm. wanting to pull me out, I think, of whatever I was in. My best friend and another friend were like, let's go run this race in Miami Beach. Uh, It's a half marathon. And for whatever reason, I was like, okay, let's do this. (laughs) And so I actually, I think I woke up that morning. One of those mornings being like, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. So what can I do to change this? So I worked with a nutritionist, worked with a trainer, got on a running training plan and lost 40 pounds before that race. It made a huge difference. But the very first time I actually went out to go run in my running group, I literally could not walk a half a mile. And my ankles hurt so bad. They were so tight. I almost felt like shin splints up my shins. And I wow. turned around and told the coach, I can't do this. And he said, come back next week. And you'll go a little bit farther mm. come back the week after that you'll go a little faster and that's truly what it was is putting one foot in front of the other and i've taken that forward with my life that eventually then landed i worked my way up through triathlon and went to the iron man and so i did a full iron man in 2013. amazing it ended, up, <laughs> it ended up taking me 18 and a half hours so if you talk to those diehard Ironman people, they'll say I'm not a real Ironman. You
0: are. But I went
1: 140.6 miles that day. I didn't stop. And so just the amount of grit and determination that came with that. And I will say, if you're not familiar with triathlon, somebody overweight is not usually seen out there right? Or we're not seen as much. And we're definitely back of the Packers and people have opinions about us and think that they're better than us based on our times. But so it's definitely an environment that you have to just not give a shit what people think about you and just go out and do something for you. Um, because otherwise you can let that fear and intimidation of everybody else going on, you know, looking in their, bio, you know, their nice bodies and looking fit and athletic,
0: um, that can be intimidating. Okay. Question with that. Uh, because I've been, you know, very heavily involved in the running community mm-hmm. for a very long time. And I did Dip my toes in triathlon a little bit. Mm. Um, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) My one half Ironman. I was there at your first sprint. You were. remember? Yes, my first sprint. Yes. At Eagle Creek. My question is, though, did you find a difference in, like, the running community and the triathlon community as far as that judgment you were talking about feeling?
1: Yeah, I do feel like... The running community overall felt more acceptable. Okay. I felt and I more feel like more accepting. That too. Okay. And I feel like the triathlon world was more judgmental. I do feel like I've seen a shift over the last sure. couple of years and there's a lot more Athena's and Clydesdales, which is the heavier weight groups participating. But I feel like there is definitely a division between a lot of elite athletes, the faster age group winners, and the back of the Packers. Not all. I'm great friends with somebody that's gone to Kona several times yeah. and they treat me like an equal. And during this whole process, actually a pro triathlete, Kelly Williamson, reached out to me and she was talking about, I have so much respect for you because I can't imagine being out there for that long. And that takes a different type of uh, athleticism than I have. You know, she's like, I'm done in eight hours and it's a completely different type of, of race. And I have a lot of admiration for you.
0: I want to talk about the full Ironman a little bit. Yeah. Um, just, I would love for you to share a little bit about the experience mm-hmm. and what you learned from it. And um, yeah, I just, you know, when you said people who are diehards might not consider you a f- uh, actual full Ironman completer or whatever mm-hmm. you call it, I'm like, what? That's crazy.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of people that definitely didn't. And then I'm in some triathlon boards and that's always the big debate. Well, they didn't finish in 17 hours so they can't get the tattoo. It's like, why do you care what other people do? Oh, I in would their get life? the tattoo out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did get 140.6 because I was like, you know, I don't feel I me personally I want to get an official finish like before, do it. I, before yeah. I got the M dot. Um it was one of those things that I kept going up in distance. I started in sprint. I actually started with an indoor try, went to a sprint, Olympic, half, full. It just felt like the next next thing. And it wasn't one of those things where I felt like I had to perfect my race before I moved up. It just seemed like a natural, natural pro- progression. And the thing that was interesting to me in my, my journey is that I was very open and honest about what I was experiencing, the highs and the lows, what was going through my head, Um, It was on a blog called Sausage in a Wetsuit, which is actually being launched, relaunched tomorrow. I remember that blog. Yeah. Sausage in a is going to be my new uh, website being launched tomorrow. But I was very open and honest with people and it was scary putting that out there. There was some inner thoughts that I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm hitting publish on this. Mm. Um, But I found that people were like, thank you for sharing because even if it got to one person. And made them feel better about going to get fit. Or changing something of their life that they didn't like. Then I felt like it was worth it. And it was a huge growing process for me. I think through the entire process. It taught me that I have a lot of grit. It taught me that I can accomplish good things. And just you have to train at things to get better. But it also taught me not to be fearful. And just go for something and try it. And if you fail, who cares? Um, we're not always going to succeed the first time. I feel like that's a lesson in my life. Everything that I've ever wanted, it always happens the second time <laughs> around. Um, it seems like there's several times in my life where I've had to go twice for it.
0: Yeah, like back on my feet when you <clears throat> exactly. interviewed.
1: Or at Arizona State, I wanted to give campus tours, and I had to go for that twice. And um, so it just really taught me to get out of my comfort zone, don't care what anybody thinks. And I think that's where the shift happened for me was during that entire process. Um, I think that's really where the shift happened that I'm going to embrace my life. I'm not going to be afraid of things. I'm not going to care what people think. I'm going to embrace failure.
0: Yeah. I think people seem to be scared to start something and do something because Even if they don't want to admit it, it's because they're scared of what people will think.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could say I don't care what people think. You know, there's still a part of me that does. But I will say where I was 10 years ago is totally different from where I am now.
0: Yeah, because when you put yourself out there, um, it can be hard because what if you do fail and everybody sees you fail? Mm -hmm. But as I grow and as I age, so much of me thinks, well, so what? What? Yeah. Nobody's going to bed at night thinking about how you failed, except for you.
1: And most of the time, most people don't even really notice. Right. Right? Or remember. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think a a lot of times we are afraid to try something because of what will people think if we fail. You know, it's almost like asking somebody out on a date, what if they say no? So what? They say no. That means it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And I think that's another lesson I've learned is that things fall together how they're supposed to you know, I never expected my blog to have the following that it did. I think there was people in 22 countries reading wow. it. Some of the posts were getting, you know, five and 6,000 hits, um, per That's blog so cool. post. And so I never thought that it would go big. And it was funny cause I went to, um, an Ironman race and this woman came up to me and she's like, are you Chrissy? And I'm like, who are you? She's like, I found your blog randomly by googling something about wetsuit and it came up and she said i've been reading and following i knew you were going to be at this race i live here i wanted to come see if i could find you oh i love it my friends were like this is a little creepy <laughs> but um yeah i never thought that i was going to get the reach that i did um especially being a back of the packer type person i ser- I definitely had several failed like, races or terrible races getting to that point um And then it led to someone found my story inspiring enough that they invited me to do a TEDx talk at Eli Lilly and Company. And I had 4,000 people in person and online watching my talk. And I had so many people reaching out to me afterwards. So I just never thought that this would all kind of piece together. And the thing that was really cool about the whole process is when I was working with the members at Back on My Feet, because I had tried things and failed, because I was putting one foot in front of the other, trying to get better. I had a better relationship Mm. to these members and it was all about, it's not about what the less, you know, what your situation is. We're all going through some sort of situation that we can relate to each other about wanting to just make improvements and getting back up. And I had several members tell me, you know, watching you get back up, watching you put it out there really helped me continue on my journey.
0: Yeah. And it's an underrepresented, um, demographic of people in the sports community. Yes. Back of the Packers. Yep. Like you read your blog. I don't see any other blogs about that. I do know that there's a couple of podcasts now that are representing that a little bit more. Oh, that's good. I don't know what they're called, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and I think that you came through with that in a really important time too.
1: Yeah. It definitely is becoming a lot more acceptable. And I, like I said, in these triathlon groups, I see a lot more people trying that, you could tell a couple of years ago, probably wouldn't have the courage to try. And then the same, there's just more back of the Packers. There's more people that are getting out there and getting active. It's definitely different being a back of the Packer. Um, Sometimes you get to water stations and there's nothing left or the water station has closed. There's less people on the, you know, on the course cheering you're out in the sun, sometimes longer and hard hotter. So there's sometimes, you know, some real disadvantages to being back there. So, I always took it as I need to be prepared for my race. And so if I need to carry something with me, I need to do that. I was always really respectful of the time cutoff on races, um, especially running races. And a lot of the race directors were so supportive. There were so many times where I was the last person to finish, especially at some of these regional triathlons. That's how I met Smitty
0: actually from Runners mm. Forum,
1: is I was doing my first Olympic out at, in Muncie. Okay. And he saw me on the course. He went and asked, at that time I was on the T3 team, he asked my teammates who I was, and he was at the finish when I finished. He waited around like two hours. Incredible. Because he's ridiculously fast, and we've been friends ever since.
0: Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. He is such a nice guy. He really is. Wow. How do you remain uh, motivated when you're the last person to cross the finish line?
1: Oh man. I think for me, it's always trying to finish what I started, Mm. even if it doesn't look the way I expected it to. I using the blog was a powerful tool for me because sometimes I would imagine, okay, I'm going to go talk about this race. I don't want to say I quit. Um, I want to say that I kept going. And so I think that was a lot of the motivation. And there was a couple races where I was like, you know what, this is not going to be my day. It's not worth it. In fact, Ironman 2014, I went back, um, had trained like heck. My bike split would have been amazing had we not had 25-mile-per-hour headwinds. Mm. And because it was such a heavy headwind, I did not up my nutrition. So when I got to the race by mile 11, I was – miserable. I hadn't gone to the bathroom since like mile 60 on the bike. I was starting to feel toxic. So mile 11 of the marathon. Yeah, of the marathon. Thank you. And I was like, you know what? I've been here before. I'm not going to put my family and friends waiting for me forever. At this point, I know I can't start running again because I feel so miserable. So I just called it a day. And it was really hard. That was really hard. That was a really, really hard one because I was like, I'm so close. Mm -hmm. If you think about it in the overall distance, but really... Another 15 miles in a marathon is pretty, <laughs> pretty miserable. So um, it was hard for me to quit. But that was one of the times where I was like, it's just not worth it. One of my friends reminded me that you always have another race. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be smart and,
0: and safe about it. Yeah. And that goes back to not caring about what people, oh, Chrissy quit. Yep. Like not caring what people are going to say. Yep,
1: exactly. And there was, I mean, there was definitely people that gave me a hard time. I got some anonymous emails <laughs> It was, yeah, you definitely, when you put it out there like that, you're definitely going to have some people judge you. And so you just have to, you have to focus on the positive and say, you know what? Okay. So there's a couple of people that are giving me a hard time, but look at all these people that said it was so positive and they appreciated it and they were inspired. I look at how many people, (laughs) because I put it out there, I started losing weight, et cetera. They, they came to me and said, I got healthy because of you. And so there's so many uh. people that have beat me to their goal weight that started after me. My best friend, Brian is one of those people. Um, I never forget my first couple half marathons. He wasn't at the first one, but he came out to the rock and roll uh, Vegas one where it was the first year it was the night at the strip. Mm -hmm. and he was like I had to go off the race course to smoke and you know (laughs) (laughs) things like that Um, so I look at him he definitely was unhappy and miserable Um, he is also he's a recovering addict and alcoholic and so at that time he was sober but he had not addressed anything else and so he has actually lost 140 pounds he's run Chicago Marathon twice and that definitely started he said watching me do things and really thinking I want to get my life together Um, So it's nice to have that person in crime to do stuff with. We do Orange Theory four days a week next to each other. And sometimes we steal each other's weights to push each other up (laughs) on higher weight levels. Um, But it's been really cool to have that with him and to know that, you know, I've inspired some people to change their lives.
0: Hey everybody, I'm going to take a quick break and thank a sponsor for this episode. And that is Lola. Lola is a female founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and all natural cleansing wipes. Did you know the FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products? So most of them don't. Lola offers complete transparency about the ingredients found in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. And Lola makes your month a little bit easier. Their subscription is fully customizable, so you can choose from your mix of products, mix of absorbency, number of boxes, and frequency of delivery. Lola's subscription is super flexible. You can change it, skip, or cancel your subscription at any time. And you know that you can do good with your purchase. For every purchase, Lola donates feminine care products to homeless shelters across the United States. All right, I love the subscription model that Lola has because I can't tell you before I started using Lola how many times I would forget that this was happening and I would be running to CVS or whatever drugstore to grab some tampons and to know that these are just gonna arrive at my door every single month. And also to know what I'm putting in my body is a well-designed product with no toxins or added chemicals. I'm a big fan of Lola and you will be too. For 30% off your first month subscription, visit mylola.com and enter illuminate when you subscribe. Again, For 30% off your first month's subscription, visit MyLola.com and enter Illuminate when you subscribe. All right, friends, let's get back to my conversation with Chrissy Vasquez. Okay, so you mentioned Brian, and I know you've openly talked about um, his struggles with addiction and you being his person, you know, one of the people in his life to support him. And I think that that's a topic that could use some light as Mm -hmm. well, being the person who's supporting the person with an addiction. So I would love to hear you kind of talk about how you guys have walked through that.
1: Yeah. You know, it wasn't consciously, it wasn't a conscious decision at first to walk through it. Um, I didn't even know he had an addiction problem when we, he was originally my boss and why I came to Indianapolis and then I got promoted. So we became peers and we started becoming friends and I had no idea that he had a problem. So fast forward a couple of years, it came out in a real big way. And I told him that I would not abandon him mm. because at that time he was like, nobody will support me. I now know that was the manipulative yeah. coming out. There was plenty of people that wanted to support him and he pushed them away. So I took it seriously. Like I've committed to help him I'm going to and my whole life I was taught you can change the world you can help people you can inspire people so surely I can fix him and help him stop drinking and stop using drugs that was a big false reality um so I think that that's why I stuck with him as long as I did it was definitely there was a lot of times where it felt like a tornado had just ripped through my life that's what a lot of people describe the addict in their life as um, and I think it's our inclination to go up and help them. But somebody told me once, if a tornado's coming, you don't go give it a hug and give mm-hmm. it a blanket. You go hide and you protect yourself. And so that was a really good analogy to be like, yeah, I need to protect myself and still help him. So fast forward years of all kinds of crazy behavior on both sides, to be honest, because I used to go through his stuff to figure out if he was using and things like that. Um, it was A couple months before he got sober for the first time, I was like, we are going to kill each other if I don't do something different. And so I just Googled tools online and I found a program called Naranon. And so that's for friends and families of addicts. I went to my first meeting. I cried for 60 minutes just listening to everybody. I think it was crying in a couple different ways. One, it was just you know, he could die from this and I can't save him from this. It was people in the room that knew what I was going through because there was a lot of friends I talked to during this and they all were like, get away. Why are Mm. you sticking around with this? And they, my friends hated him because of the torment that I was feeling. Um, So I, you know, felt like I was in a room of people that understood that dilemma of loving an addict. Um, And so then I started going to also Al-Anon, which is for friends and families of alcoholics. And the first couple of meetings I went to of that, I was so mad. I was like in denial. Why am I having to put something in my schedule right. because of him? Yeah, like this is ridiculous. And then as I started listening to people, I realized this program's about me. It's mm-hmm. not about him. And for the first time in my life, because again, people pleaser, things like that, I always had to be the first you know, ahead of everything. I actually stopped and listened and didn't jump into the steps right away, didn't jump into getting, I did get a sponsor right away, but I didn't jump into the steps. At first it was, when I first got there, I was like, okay, you're gonna teach me how to get them sober. I'll be here for a couple of weeks and then I'll understand it enough that I can move on and you guys are crazy for being here 23, 24 years in these meetings. And then, like I said, as I realized that the program was more about me, not about him, I started looking at my life and I'm like, oh, my life is manageable in so many ways. My weight, my health, um, how mad I get at my boss, how I have expectations of other people. There were so many things that were a part of that, that I was able to start fixing through my working of the steps. And I think I heard a woman say, I'm so grateful for my addict. And I thought, you're crazy. Why would you be grateful for this? And I can definitely say I am so grateful for having an addict in my life because I found this program that changed mine. And I think I wouldn't have done anything we just talked about had I not been a part of Al-Anon and really changed my life. And it's been incredible to watch him come along too. If I could have script what our friendship would have looked like if he was sober, what I got is so much better than that. He overwhelms me at times with what a great friend he is. And so it's been really nice to see the balance, you know, kind of if you think of a pendulum when I was supporting when when he was an alcoholic it was on really high on one side and then when he got sober he came and really supported me and now it's, you know, very very even kind of back and forth. It's give and take, but at the end of the day it's very even and we're supportive of each other and very lucky to have a friendship in each other and a common language that we speak with 12 steps. And I think there's so much shame <clears throat> not only for the addict, absolutely so much shame and guilt, but there's also shame for the families and the friends because they don't want other people to know and they're constantly hiding their behavior and they're making up for things, you know, there's all these things that go into that when you love an addict or support an act addict. So I think there's there's shame on both sides and a lot of people don't talk about it. So you don't know that the person next to you is going through it. So I found by me being open with my program, I've had a lot of people come to me on the side or in private saying that they want help or they want a perspective or how should they go about this. And so it's nice to be able to show that there's a resource here.
0: Yeah. I didn't know it existed until I saw you post about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like an underutilized program. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And there's great programs, too, because there's
1: Alateen. So for teenagers that have parents that drink. Okay. Because that's a really big thing. And who do you talk to? And there's so many isms that come along Uh with alcohol, even sometimes when people are sober. And, you know, it's hard enough being a teen as it is, let alone having the secret. You know, you can't have people over to your house because is my mom going to be, you know, drunk when I get there and things like that. So I think it's nice to have those resources. And I wish more people... We say all the time if everybody had a 12 step program this life would be mm. <laughs> this world would be amazing mm-hmm. because it just really teaches you to deal with life on life's terms. Brian and I were actually just talking about this whole coronavirus. Yeah. And you know how people are rushing out and getting all these supplies and I don't feel the need to mm-hmm. and he doesn't either and I'm like are we crazy or are they crazy? I'm not <laughs> really sure, but we both talked about because we have this program, we don't have to get unrational or irrational about things. We can be calm, we can be collective about it, and we can make smart decisions. doesn't mean that I don't ever get upset, but I certainly don't get frantic because of things going on. I know that there's a solution.
0: What's, what's one of the biggest takeaways that you've learned from being a part of that program?
1: Hmm. At first, it was I didn't cause it, mm. I can't cure it, and I can't control it. So that was very helpful for me. Now, I think the biggest takeaway is that there's always a solution. So anything, I can apply this program to any part of my life. So if I'm struggling at work, um, last year when I left back on my feet, I used it a ton. (laughs) That was really hard for me. Um, And so it helps me realize that there's a solution. There's people that I can turn to for help and that I'm always evolving. I think of it as an onion. You peel back one layer, there's another layer. And so there's always ways for me to keep improving my life and my relationship with others.
0: Okay. So we've mentioned, um, back on my feet a little bit, and mm-hmm. there's just so many, um, parallels to your relationship with Brian and walking through that. And yep. then what back on my feet is all about. So can you just kind of share with everybody what back on my feet does?
1: Sure. Back on my feet works with those experiencing homelessness and they run three days a week at five forty-five or five thirty in the morning to build discipline, confidence, and self-esteem. There's a community of volunteers that come out because they're just amazing people and good support system. And so that builds the social capital for people in their lives. And then there's access to job skills, training and financial literacy. Um, So they have all the skills they need to put their lives back together and get back into a sustainable life.
0: Yeah. You know, I think my favorite piece to back back on my feet, there's so many is just that relationship piece Mm -hmm. um, that you're actually going out on a run with people who are at a, Maybe a completely different place in their life. But mm-hmm. when you're out on a run together, you're just talking.
1: Yeah. That's what I love about the circle. You come together that early in the morning. And if you're new to the circle, you don't know who yeah. came from a homeless shelter and who came from a house in the suburbs. And so it's a very equalizing moment. And you are, you're all just out there as runners, walkers, trying to make your lives better, moving forward step by step. And you do start having those conversations and for the members, they always said that being a part of those conversations and that activity just helped them forget about their situation for a little while and give them some hope that they could have a good life. And seeing that and being to emulate that and being around good people um, really made a difference for them. And I see it still. I'm, I'm still really good friends with a lot of alumni. You know, we are close and consider each other family.
0: Yeah, it's so cool to see people um, having such success in their jobs. I mean, some of these these members in the program have been working at their jobs that they got through Back on My Feet connections for, what, 5, 10 years now? Oh, absolutely. And I always tell my favorite story about
1: Whitney. Yeah, tell. So Whitney was living in his truck in 2014 when he found the facility that he went to that he met Back on My Feet at. He was a smoker. He was a big guy. And... So we started to become friends. He was very leery of people. So Mm -hmm. it took a while to kind of become friends. And we started training for half marathons together. So we'd go to training runs and there was a little competition between us (laughs) because we were about the same time period, you know, same pace. So it was always like who could beat each other to the finish line. Um, But over the years, I just got to know Whitney. He worked his program so hard. He has five years sober. He um, does a auto repair business with his son, And then just last year, he actually built his own house through Habitat for Humanity and became a homeowner for the first time in his life at the age of 62. Wow. And so the grandkids that he used to not even be able to accompany across the street, he now babysits at his house for the weekend. And it's just so amazing to watch that transformation happen and definitely one of those people that feels like family. His ex-wife actually invited me to Thanksgiving one year. She's like, you're our family. Come to Thanksgiving. I went to lunch the other day with his daughter-in-law. So they've become a part of my family. And it's just incredible to watch where Whitney's come from, the relationships that he's repaired and restored, and watch him give it away so freely. He is all about paying it forward. And I will say I will never forget the phone call I got I was in the middle of the street, crossing the street in Baltimore when I was working with a chapter out there that he called me to tell me that he got approved for Habitat. And we're both crying on the phone mm. in the middle of the street. And he said, I would have never done this had you not believed in me.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's so amazing. You know, one thing I noticed that you said was that you're a family now. And I i grew up in a family where um, people would be at our house on like Thanksgiving or like Christmas morning one year, I remember one of my dad's friends who was like on house arrest was like at our house for the weekend on Christmas, you know? And mm-hmm. I think, I think back and at the time it seemed normal to me, but now that I'm, you know, I've been married for 10 years and I have kids of my own, like looking at my husband's family, like those aren't things that just happen. Like mm-hmm. people don't just invite people into their home like that. hmm And I'm so grateful that my parent, I grew up with parents who did that. Yeah. Like it wasn't strange for me to have these random people at our table on Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. Um, And I get that feeling from you. Like, um, you know, I feel like if I were like out on the streets or something happened with my family, like I could go to your house for Thanksgiving and it wouldn't even be a question. Like, of course you can come. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. What do you think it is? Like, where do those... um, where does the motivation come to be someone who is like that? Cause I'm not as like that as my parents even were. My dad doesn't know a stranger, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to be like that. Yeah. You know,
1: you know, I can't say anything specific of where it comes from. I just, my dad instilled a value of service in me at a very young age. So I was serving in soup kitchens when I was in high school, when other students were out doing, you know, other things. And I'll never forget a woman, someone stole her jacket while she was in line. The facility was out of jackets, So she was crying that she didn't have a jacket without even thinking. I just went in the back, pulled my jacket and gave it to her knowing that I have several jackets at home. There's just something that's baked into me that makes me want to care for other people. And it could very well come from originally a place of people pleasing Mm. and wanting to compensate Mm -hmm. again for how I looked and Mm -hmm. things like that. So that could very well be deep seated in there. Um, but as I started getting older, and especially when I started getting connected with back on my feed, because it took that addiction piece, it took social services and human needs, and then it took running, so all things that I was interested in. Um, it just, I don't know, it just feels right to help other people. I feel like I have, everybody has a different gift in this world, and I feel like that's one of my gifts that I was given, um, because I don't see somebody experiencing homelessness. I don't see somebody who can't read. I see a human being that's just like me, we have different circumstances and how can I help them? How can they help me? Because I learn just as much from other people as I think that they learn from me. Um, a couple of years ago, I was working with a triathlon coach, but we were also doing some mind work. And so he challenged me to put together a personal mission statement. Oh, I love that. And so the one that I came up with that felt right was I help other people see that they're worth a second chance.
0: I and so that's that.
1: just really been my mission of work. And I hear that from the alumni all the time. They're like, you know, there's just something different about you that we feel like we can come to you. I've had alumni come back to me and say, Hey, I've relapsed. Can you take me to detox? Wow. Or, you know, I'm, I'm struggling and I need help. You know, can you connect me to a resource or things like that? And a lot of alumni do stay in touch with me. And they'd say, because they're like, you just felt like a friend and you felt like somebody that we could always go to and you wouldn't judge us. And you would just find a way to help us help ourselves. Because that's one thing that shifted in, with, in me. I used to do everything for every, everybody else. And now it's more, how can I help them help themselves? Mm, right. I don't need to do for other people. I rob them of that opportunity if I'm always doing that. And I learned that also with addiction. You know, if I'm constantly helping Brian or any other addict out of their problems, they're not able to do that for themselves. And so they don't have the dignity. I'm taking their dignity away from them.
0: You know what I think it is too though um on a selfish level for myself and most people is the inconvenience and also like the discomfort. You know, you have this vision of what you think oh, Thanksgiving should look like uh, in yeah. your house. The table should look like this and and this is what it should feel like and well, you know what, like that, is that really all that matters? And how often does that really
1: happen? I think that's another big thing I learned about the program was dropping expectations. Yeah. Because having expectations that it was going to be the perfect setting and the perfect food and the perfect conversation would then lead to resentments because it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's As society, we have expectations of what it looks like. You know, speaking to the inconvenience, there's definitely been some times where I'm like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I just ran downtown (laughs) to run this way, to run that way. Yeah. Like, that's insanity, and I'm making myself insane trying to help this person. So I definitely have started getting better about, okay, is this going to change something I was planning on doing? Is that okay or not okay? Like, I've definitely gotten better about not dropping everything. Giving yourself some boundaries. Um, But I do try to be... Available, approachable. I don't do it perfectly all the time. I don't do it perfectly very often at all, actually.
0: Approachable, I like that. Yeah,
1: but I just try to be approachable for people. It was funny because I was doing an interview for the bookstore. News reporter just dropped in unexpectedly, I happened to be there. Hope I'm wearing something (laughs) cute. I was taking my team to go duck pin bowling that afternoon. So I was wearing a plaid shirt and jeans. (laughs) And it was funny because my dad said, you look like a farmer. (laughs) Why didn't you have a jacket? You know, you don't look very professional. Oh, sure. And I told him, I said, yes, I, I, had I known this, I would have not dressed that (laughs) casual, but on the other hand, I had several people, ironically enough, reach out to me and they said, you looked so approachable.
0: Oh, I love that In that
1: interview. It made me feel like I could walk into that store and feel comfortable. Yes. And so I was like, that's what, that's it. That's what I want. And I think that's the other thing I learned about back of my feet too, is, you know, being a fundraiser, I'm so used to dressing to the nines to go meet with donors and things like that being super professional. How is that making me approachable to the members that I was serving? Right, right. So yes, there was times where I needed to it's dress necessary. up for you know certain donors, but for the most part, I took a look at that and I was like, I want to be approachable. So how can I come off not only in my actions and my words, but also how I look as well?
0: How you dress is such an interesting topic. Yesterday, I was out of the house. I we went and did an I did an interview yeah. with you for your podcast and. Um, I just got myself dressed up because I wanted to feel good. and You looked cute, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's not often that I'm out of workout clothes. And I felt like I just carried myself a different way. Like I was very confident. And um, yeah, it's just an interesting thing that the shift that it does in your brain when you dress a certain way.
1: Oh, absolutely. And there, there's times where I go to meetings and I do. I feel more, more control, more confidence mm-hmm. because I am. How you're up. dressed, yeah, and I think that's part of it too because sometimes I'll walk into rooms and I'm like, I am way too casual, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Totally, right. So you got to dress your audience. But yeah, I thought you looked really cute, especially since you have four boys under <laughs> the age of seven. I'm like, she's wearing heels. This is incredible.
0: Well, it's funny because I dropped Lewis off at school. I walked in. I walked everybody in yesterday. It was a big deal. I don't always walk everybody in. And I like his teacher and people are like, oh, what? what whoa! What are you doing today? <laughs> like, this is who are you? You know, and. Yep. Um, I very easily could have worn workout clothes. Yeah. You wouldn't have cared, but yeah. it did felt good and it made me feel powerful. I don't know, you know. Yeah, there's
1: just something about having that confidence and having the inside match the outside sometimes. I definitely will say working at the back of my feet, I got super casual and dressed because you can wear yeah, running can. clothes. I had sponsors being like, wear running clothes because I'm so, I'm so jealous that you get to wear yeah. running clothes. So yeah. wear those to meetings and things like that. So sometimes when I walk into the office, my staff will be like, where are you going today? You're so dressed up. <laughs> and I'm like, I can look the part sometimes.
0: <laughs> oh man. All right, Chrissy. Well, I, this has been fun. I knew it would be. Thanks for having me. Yeah. When we launched Illuminate, I knew that you were someone that I would want to highlight on the show. And, um, you're definitely someone I look up to in oh, my life.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It, it means a lot to be on both your po- podcasts.
0: Yeah. If you guys want to hear, Actually, even more details about the running stuff. Um, Chrissy was on episode ten mm-hmm. of All Have Another, my other podcast. Which is, it's just crazy looking back because that podcast is now at two hundred and you know thirty some episodes and
1: millions of downloads.
0: <laughs> you, but you believed in. You know what I mean? Like you were one of those people that like you were at the beginning and you believed in what I was doing, and it's been. It's cool to be in relationship with someone who knew you from before mm-hmm. that, you know, I've seen
1: Lindsay, I've seen so much growth in you oh, thanks. and I know a lot of that comes from being a mom. Like I know you're trying to raise the best humans that you can and I'm sure it's chaotic with four little boys, um, but just watching you grow and change and go from, you know, this It's no longer just about you. It's about helping other people. It's about getting those messages out. It's inspiring other people and watching you go after your dreams. You know, when you started this podcast, I remember it was constantly like, hey, help me share this. Please go do a review, (laughs) all this stuff. And now you've got people, you know, from all corners of the globe following you. And that came from your hard work and, you know, determination and obviously the support from Glenn and your friends and family. But it's been really cool to watch you pull all of it together and like I said yesterday, you make it look very easy. <laughs> oh my sorry. gosh. I know it's not, but you definitely seem to have you have a lot of great things going for you.
0: Yeah, it's whenever someone asks about, you know, podcasting and stuff and they say like, "Oh, you know, I want to start a podcast." I'm like, "Oh man, it is really freaking hard to grow a podcast." And I don't think for a second that like, I, I didn't do, you know, mm-hmm. like I was hustling so hard, mm-hmm. anybody that would listen. And, and that was one of those things where like you were saying, like when we were talking about not caring about what people think of you, like you just have to just get over that and yeah. just own it. Cause when you're proud of the work that you're doing, you're not embarrassed to ask people to listen or Absolutely. watch. And
1: I think that's so important that you believed in it and you were so good at helping others connect to it so they could believe in it as well. So it's been really incredible to watch this journey.
0: Thank you. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean that for it to be Lindsay Love fest. <laughs> Give me all the compliments. Shower me in um, compliments. No. Okay. So Chrissy, this podcast is called the Illuminate Podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, we bring on people who we think are illuminating the world around them Uh, doing good at the world, and I would love to hear if there's a person or organization or something you would like to illuminate.
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple. I think I'm really fortunate in my life that there's a lot of illumination from a lot of different ways. Obviously, the work we're doing at Indie Reads illuminates my life in so many ways. I was talking to a friend on the way down here, and she's like, the passion just exudes from your Mm. voice when you talk about the work that you guys are doing. Um, I have a friend that started a You know, she's pushing out articles about badass women. She's got a podcast, Badassery Life. And so it's been cool to watch her bring attention to women that are doing amazing things in the world. I have a friend, Allison, who does adaptive yoga. Um, So talking about back of the pack, she is a larger woman and doing yoga. And it's so incredible to watch her provide that inspiration of you don't have to be able to do a warrior perfectly. Use a chair. Um, So watching her on her Instagram, empowering other people, my friend Tracy that created her own face care line when she was having issues with her skin. Oh,
0: the frangipani? Yeah,
1: frangipani. Um, My friend Brian, you know, and just watching how much like I could literally start crying right now just thinking about how he's transformed Mm. and the illumination he puts in my life. He's my biggest cheerleader. There's so many people in this city, in this world that are just providing that illumination. And I just am so glad that people are willing to let their light shine.
0: Um, let's put the links to Adrian's Instagram in the show notes. Allison's. Yeah. Or Allison's what's, what is her? Do you, it's Allison Moore, A L L I S -S O N Moore M
1: O O R E yoga. Okay. She's on Instagram as that handle.
0: Okay. And we'll put the links to Indie reads in in the show notes as well. Um, what's the best, most recent book you've read? So <laughs>
1: I have a, a smart book and a trashy book. Yep, yep. So um, I'll start with trashy first. <laughs> Good. So when I loved watching Girls Next Door. I was so fascinated by this whole Hugh Hefner mansion lifestyle. Okay. And so um, I told the staff at Indie Reads Books, if you see any of the autobiographies of the girls coming through, please hold it. And so a couple of weeks ago, one of the staff was like, we got down a rabbit hole from <laughs> Holly Madison. So I was reading that every night for a couple of weeks and I was just fascinated. It was really interesting to see the other side. So now I have to read the rest of them. And then a good book and a smart book came from one of my fel- former employees, Grace, and it's called Brave Not Perfect. Ooh. And so it's really talking. It's it's geared more towards women, and it's written by, written by the woman that created Girls Who Code, and it's all about how men just go for things. They're not perfectly matched for a job. They'll still apply for it. We, as women, feel like we have to have everything perfected, or if we're going to present an idea, it has to be all fleshed out and perfect. This book is all about empowering people. Just be brave. Mm. Go for it. You may not have it all figured out. You may fail, but be brave. That's so much more important than being perfect.
0: It's so good. Yeah. On that note, what is your one message to send to the world? Oh, boy.
1: I would say live your authentic self. Really find what makes you tick. Find what's going to make you happy. Don't be afraid to be who you are. I think that's the thing I've learned over time is that there's going to be people that, regardless of what I say, they're going to hate me. But if I be my authentic self, I will attract the people that I'm meant to be around. Me. I never want people to feel like I'm fake. I spent enough of my life... I feel like over the years being fake to compensate for things or being fake because I wasn't feeling it. And so being off, being your authentic self and letting your light shine, whatever light that looks like is what's most important.
0: All right, everybody, be your authentic self. Thank you so much, Chrissy, for coming on the podcast today. We appreciate you sharing your story and shedding light on all these amazing topics that we covered today. You all can find everything we talked about in the show notes of this episode at the Illuminate Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram. We're the Illuminate Podcast over there. And make sure you check out our podcast network, Sandy Boy Productions. We also have a Instagram page for that as well called Sandy Boy Productions. And the other two shows in our network are All Have Another with Lindsey Hine and the Up and Running podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and take a screenshot and share it with a friend. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for supporting the show. And we'll see you next week on the Illuminate podcast.